Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. The economic downturn and longevity have had a major impact on generational views on family responsibilities and finances. Today we have joining us Kim Parker, Associate Director and Senior Researcher for the Pew Research for Social and Demographic Trends. Generational views on family responsibilities and finances have been changing dramatically as the economy continues to change as well as the demographics of our country. Their research has found that more families are working together intergenerationally to weather the storms of longevity as well as the difficult challenges that have been created by our current economic times. Welcome, Kim. Thank you for having me. We're really looking forward to you sharing some of the information that you've discovered at the Pew Research Center as we hear a lot of generations having to work together because of today's economic circumstances and health issues and different things. One thing we hear a lot about on the news and in your research is these different generations, the millennials, Gen Xers, baby boomers, which Tony and I are one of. Can you share with us a definition of each of those generations and kind of describe how those generations are kind of viewed as a group? Sure. We sort of have definitions that are based loosely on the academic literature. Some people might make cut points at different places, but I think there's general agreement about the lines that you draw to define these generations. And the youngest one, as you mentioned, is the millennial generation. And those are young adults who were born after 1980. And they're named the millennial generation because they were the first generation to come of age in the new millennium. A little bit older than the millennial generation is Generation X, and those are people who were born from 1965 through 1980. They're the children of baby boomers, and they came of age in the early 80s and during the Reagan presidency, and they're often depicted as being sort of savvy and entrepreneurial and not as civically minded as some other generations. Those are sort of stereotypes with some of the things that have been written about them. And then you've got the baby boomers who are, you know, a very large group that's just now sort of entering into older age. They're starting to turn 65, and there are a lot of them, so they've been a source of a lot of interest and almost concern over what we'll do as they continue to age, and we'll have this big group of older Americans and how will they be cared for and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, they were born beginning in 1946 and ending in 1964. They're called the baby boomers because there was a big boom of babies born after World War II, and it ended in the mid-1960s. And then older than the baby boomers are what some people call the silent generation, and those are adults that were born from 1928 through 1945. They're mostly children of the Great Depression and World War II, and the silent label that we've given them and that some others have given them sort of refers to their more conformist and civic instincts. They've just sort of gone along and not made a lot of waves through the years, and it's a real contrast to the sort of noisy and anti-establishment ways of the baby boomers, particularly in the 1960s. Older than the silent generation is the greatest generation, and that's adults who were born before 1928. And they're the ones who have been written about a great deal. They're the ones that fought in World War II, and I think Ronald Reagan said that they saved the world. So they're sort of beginning to die off. There's not as many of them left, but they're the oldest generation that we sort of have looked at in our research. 
Thanks for sharing that clarification because it really does put a perspective on your research. So share with us, according to Pew's recent research, Americans are less satisfied with their personal financial situation today than they were in 2009. What has triggered the increased unhappiness and which generations have been impacted the most? So obviously it's been a rough go the last few years with the recession, which technically began in December of 2007 and allegedly ended in June of 2009. But as we know, there have been lingering effects and a lot of people still trying to dig their way out of that. And so we found that across the board, the generations are less satisfied with their financial situations now and also with the state of the nation's economy. But interestingly, if you look across generations, you see that this sort of suffered in different ways. Millennials were hit particularly hard in the job market and really high unemployment rates for young workers that have come down a little bit, but really not much. And young adults are still having a really hard time getting jobs. And then if you look at the Generation Xers and the baby boomers, they were hit hard, especially the baby boomers, I think, in the housing market. So they lost a lot of their personal wealth because they saw the values of their homes decline and even plummet in some cases. And we also see with those two generations that they're very concerned now about their ability to provide for themselves in their retirement because they've seen a lot of their long-term savings depleted and their personal wealth has been diminished and they're just not that confident about whether and when they'll be able to retire. For the silent generation, the older Americans, everybody's been impacted by the recession and the tough times, but they've actually fared better than the others. They're less likely to say that they're in worse shape now. For most of them, they bought their homes a long time ago, so they didn't necessarily buy at the peak of the market and then see their value diminish so much. And they're also supported by Social Security, which has been a real economic lifeline for older Americans since it was put into place, and it really does help to keep older Americans in a more comfortable financial footing. So you can see that everybody sort of paid a price from the recession and the difficult times we've been through, but it's played out a little bit differently for the different generations. I listen to stories from my grandpa when he was living, and he's one of the greatest generation, talking about when he grew up, you had multiple generations living in one house and supporting each other financially. And as we're looking at this economic downturn, are you seeing the generational views on family responsibilities and finances changing? Are families starting to support each other more financially? And which of those generations would be more willing to offer support if they find other generations are in need? Yeah, it's interesting. We did a survey last fall, so in September of 2011, and we had a series of questions about family responsibilities and looked at how different generations viewed them. And there were a couple of things. We asked about a whole series of things and we said, do you think this is a responsibility, not a responsibility? When it comes to adult children taking in their elderly parents or just helping their elderly parents with their needs, there's a real strong sense of responsibility across generations. So you see that young and middle-aged adults really believe pretty strongly that adult children should be taking care of their parents when they need help and a fairly strong share also saying that they should actually take their elderly parents in. And then we also, looking at the sort of opposite end of the generational spectrum, there's a pretty strong sense that parents have a responsibility to pay for their child's college education, and you see that, again, across the board. But interestingly, we saw that millennials, who are the youngest generation of adults, they have a really strong sense of obligation to the older generation. When we asked whether adult children should take in an elderly parent, 71% of millennials said that yes, they should, and that was higher than the share of Gen Xers or boomers. It may be that millennials, for them, it's more of an abstract 
concept, and so they say, oh, sure, you know, we should do that. Or it may be that they actually have a stronger sense of obligation, and we won't know that until they get older and we can ask them again if they see this as a responsibility. And the same thing when we asked about adult children taking care of their parents, we saw really a high share of millennials saying that, yeah, that's a responsibility for young people. So I don't know, that was kind of interesting. Unfortunately, we don't have a trend on that, but I don't know if you would necessarily expect to see young people in their 20s saying that, yes, this is a responsibility even in the abstract. So I don't know if they're aware of the fact that they may have to do this at some point or whether they just have a real strong sense of family connection. But we've done some other research in the changing, so changing composition of families in America and how, you know, it's not necessarily the the old 1950s era married parents raising their children all under one roof. I mean, families have changed and form a lot, but we have found that the sense of connection and obligation that people and families feel is really just as strong as it was before. So that's kind of an interesting thing, and I think bodes well for the future if people are going to be faced with these kinds of responsibilities. Kim, you mentioned at the beginning of the show that each of the generations has been impacted, but with the baby boomers approaching retirement, how have their attitudes changed about retirement since this recession and economic meltdown? Yeah, well, they're not very confident about their own ability to care for themselves, really. Only 20% in our most recent survey said that they're very confident that they'll have enough money to last through their retirement, and that's a pretty low share. And as I mentioned also, the Gen Xers who are younger and further away from retirement, they're really worried too. But baby boomers, this is a reality for them, and they feel like this is coming soon, and they're not very confident at all that they'll have enough to provide. And one in four of the baby boomers that we interviewed said that they think that they'll have to work until they're 70 at least, which is a pretty high share given that in the past people have tended to retire before 70. Another thing we asked, we looked specifically at 50 to 61-year-olds, so sort of a subset of the baby boomers who are still working, and 66% of them said that they will probably have to delay their retirement because of the economy. So that's two-thirds saying that they may have thought things were going to play out one way, but now that the economy has soured, they're probably not going to be able to retire as soon as they had hoped or planned to do. In that way, I think their attitudes really have changed about their retirement. Kim, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, let's talk about a generation we haven't addressed yet, and it's called the Sandwich Generation. So please stay tuned. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. And now a personal story from the 2010 Life Foundation Spokesperson for Life Insurance Awareness Month, actress Leslie Bibb, whose recent credits include roles in Iron Man 2, Confessions of a Shopaholic, and Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Leslie was just three years old when her dad died. 
At that time, Leslie had no idea what life insurance was and how it benefited her mother. Today, Leslie realizes the enormous impact it had on her life. Let's hear her story. Hi, I'm Leslie Dipp. Photos are my memories. My parents together dancing to their favorite song and celebrating with friends. Young and in love, they never suspected that their lives together would be cut short. Everything changed when my mother received the awful call that there had been an accident and my father hadn't survived. All of a sudden, the task of raising four girls and keeping our family together fell on her shoulders. But my mom's burden was lessened by my dad's thoughtfulness. His life insurance policy enabled our family to pick up and carry on. The love we show while we are alive is why we live. The love we show after we are gone allows life to continue on. My dad loved us enough to expect the unexpected. Life insurance was his legacy of love to us. No one should be left grieving and in need. Take care of your loved ones by thinking ahead to the unthinkable. Learn more at lifehappens.org, a public service message from the Nonprofit Life Foundation. Welcome back as we continue our conversation today with Kim Parker, who's Associate Director and Senior Researcher at Pew Research for Social and Demographic Trends. And we're talking about generational views on family responsibilities and finances and the impact since the economic decline. Just before the break, we had hinted at talking about another generation, the sandwich generation. And Kim, I know even ARP did a survey where they said as many as 29% of Americans that are baby boomers are in this situation where they're taking care of kids and at the same time they're taking care of parents. So with people living longer combined with this recession where the young adults are having a tough time getting work, plus I think people waited a little longer to have kids, you've got a lot of people in this situation. So what kind of assistance are boomers providing right now? Well, you're right. They are providing in all different directions. We did a survey back in 2005, which was obviously before the recession. And at that point, half of baby boomers were caring for minor children, so children under 18. And you know, when you're caring for minor children, that means that you're covering all of their expenses. 17% were providing some financial assistance to their adult children, which could have been either paying for their educations or helping paying for their housing or just helping them support themselves. And then 20% were providing money to an elderly parent. So that's that sort of sandwich group. They're the people that are stuck in the middle. They've got children that they're responsible for, in some cases minor children, in some cases adult children, and I'm sure there are some that have both types of children, and then elderly parents that they're responsible for as well. So it's a lot of responsibility and can be, you know, a pretty big burden for those boomers. At the same time, they're trying to save for their own retirement and plan for their own futures. So they've got a lot of different things pulling on their finances, and I think it can be obviously a really challenging time for them. One interesting thing that we have found in our research is that the support between adult children and their elderly parents really goes both ways. So you do have the sandwich generation who are supporting their parents and either financially or helping them with errands or helping them with the upkeep of their homes or you know, doctor's appointments, those sorts of things. But we also found that elderly parents are providing a lot of support to their adult children. So they may be giving financial assistance to their adult children who are struggling. And if you think about high rates of unemployment, especially in certain parts of the country or in certain sectors of the economy, you hear about some 
of these folks who are in the sandwich generation who have actually had to move in with their elderly parents. So it's important to keep in mind that the support runs both ways, and we've seen that in our survey research, so that adult children are caring for their elderly parents in many ways, but in some cases, the elderly parents are also providing for their adult children and for their grandchildren. So it seems like in these tough economic times, it probably varies from one family to another, depending on which generation is the most challenged. The other generations are reaching out and supporting them. So it's complicated, and luckily, as I mentioned earlier, people feel very strong ties and obligations to their families. So it's usually, you know, wherever the greatest need is, that's where the assistance is going. Well, you take care of your own, right? Yeah, exactly. As I'm hearing you describe that, I'm just thinking of the listeners identifying each different family saying, oh, that's me, that's us, you know. We've talked about the sandwich generation, and we've certainly talked about baby boomers, but let's talk about another generation, and that's these young adults, 18 to 34, that sometimes are labeled boomerang generation, so they move back to the family home in big numbers. Do you see the trend continuing? Yeah, you know, it's hard to say whether it'll continue, but we definitely have seen during the recession years the share of young adults who were moving back home with their parents went up significantly. I think, again, it goes back to this really difficult job market for young adults. If you can't find a job, you can't pay rent, you can't set up your own household and support yourself. And the other thing that a lot of these young folks are facing are record high student loans. So some of them, not only can they not find a job, but they also are having to pay back these loans. So it's a big financial burden for young people. And so a lot of them have ended up back home. In our survey, we found that 29% of 25 to 34-year-olds either were living at home with their parents or said that they had moved in for a time during the recent years because of the economy. So that's a pretty high share, about 3 in 10. And when we asked parents whether they had a child that had moved back in with them during recent years. We had 30% of the parents saying that as well. So it's a pretty widespread phenomenon. But interestingly, I think there maybe used to be a stigma to this. If you were living back at home, then you weren't really making it. But nowadays, it's become so commonplace that a lot of young adults just see it as sort of a step on their way to financial independence. So there's sort of a delayed adulthood. They're, they're reaching independence later, but they're very optimistic. The young adults that we spoke to who are living at home with their parents, they're very optimistic about their futures. They feel just as positively about their financial futures as adults who are out living on their own. They're not unhappy. They don't say that it's been a bad thing for their relationship with their parents. Actually, a lot of them say it's been a good thing for their relationship with their parents. And also, they're contributing to their parents' financial well-being as well. In many cases, we found that 75% of young adults who are living back home with their parents are contributing to the household finances, and almost half actually pay rent to their parents. So in that way, again, if it's a household where the parents themselves might be struggling a bit, maybe one of them lost their job or they're trying to save for the future, they're having their adult children living back at home with them could be providing a little bit of relief for them and allowing them to ease up on their own financial expenses and that kind of thing. So we didn't get a sense from our research that having adult children in the household is sort of sucking away more resources. In some cases, it was probably actually helping the situation. It's interesting, as you were talking about that, I think back to a past guest that we had on who actually moved to this country, felt he won the lottery moving in. And I'm sure you can relate to this. I know growing up as a baby boomer, one of the programs that we watched was Bill Cosby. He talked about when they would watch that show over in Europe, the canned laughter is in there where 
Dr. Huxtable would tell his kid, Theo, at 18, you're out of here. I'm done with you. You know, you're moving out. And I think growing up, there was a lot of pressure. You wanted to be out of the house by 18, but we're almost moving back to a situation where intergenerational is helping each other again, and that total independence that we looked at as baby boomers is probably starting to wane a little bit. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. We actually had a question in our survey on Boomerang about at what age should a child be financially independent from their parents, and it had also been asked back in 1990, and we found that the threshold had moved up a bit. So where we had a plurality of adults saying that most young adults should be financially independent by the time they're 21 back in 1990, now we saw the plurality moving up to 25 or older. So I think there's a sense on the part of adults and parents with kids in this age group that, you know, it's just not realistic that they're going to be able to be independent by the time they're 21, let alone 18, and that maybe it's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen, but it's going to happen a little bit later and maybe closer to when they're 25. So it was interesting to see that threshold moving up a little bit. Are they also waiting to get married longer? Yes, definitely. And that's another reason that helps explain why this population of young adults living at home has expanded. It's partly because of the economy, but also because of the median age at first marriage has gotten older. So if the first time you move out on your own is when you get married, then you might be more likely to stay at home a little bit longer if young adults used to be getting married in their early 20s, and now it's getting more to mid to late 20s on average. So I think that's probably a factor, too. Well, Kim, I think a key point that it's important for my kids to hear is that those boomerangs, 96% surveyed, said that they do chores around the parents' house. So it's now (laughs) statistical research that I can base my recommendations on that they continue to get their chores done. So, (laughs) Well, I don't know if you've ever heard of the social desirability effect in survey research, but sometimes people say what they think they're supposed to say. I'm not sure about the chores, but let's hope that's true. Right. Well, in case you get an email or text from my kids, you'll know why. So... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll send them the data. (laughs) Kim, one thing I wanted to ask you about, too, is we've got this over 65 population set to double in the next two decades. And I know your research did some things about which generation do you see initiating the conversation about growing old, being able to make decisions, living independently. And this is an area where I think sitting down with your financial professional can help with these conversations and your team, your estate planning attorney, your CPAs. And I know we encourage that in our practice to have these family meetings to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And as difficult as it is to make the conversation happen, sometimes having a third party can help with that. What does your research find? Yeah, so we did ask in a survey that we did a couple years ago where we had a big sample of older adults and a big sample of adults who had elderly parents who were still living. We asked them about these conversations and had they discussed having a will and had they discussed how to handle their medical care if they couldn't make their decisions any longer, what to do if they could no longer live independently. And obviously these are difficult things to discuss and sometimes people just don't want to raise these topics, but we found a pretty high share of older adults saying that they had discussed these things with their adult children. 76% said that they had discussed having a will and what to do with family belongings and Fewer had discussed what to do if they could no longer live independently, only about 55%. So it may be that that conversation needs to take place earlier because you obviously don't want to discuss it at the point when it's happening because at that point it might be difficult. 
to discuss it and plan for it because obviously that involves some financial planning and saving as well. We also asked people who initiated the conversation. Was it the older adult themselves or was it their children? And in most cases, it was the older adults that initiated the conversation. So it may be something that adult children who have elderly parents should be aware of that don't just wait for your parents to bring this up. You can bring it up too and start the dialogue. In terms of having a third party get involved, we didn't really get into that in our survey. But obviously, when you're talking about financial issues, it would make a lot of sense to have the discussion between the elderly parent and the adult children, and then, if necessary, bring in a third party to formalize things or get advice on more complicated financial matters, that kind of thing. What a great point to end with today. Last time we had this conversation, it was prior to the economic downturn, and things have changed dramatically in the last two years, and so have attitudes. So we appreciate you clarifying that. I don't doubt the economy continues to change all the time. So we hope to have you join us again in the future and review how things have changed again. Thanks for joining us today. That sounds great. I look forward to it. Thanks for joining us this week. And tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your Real Wealth Advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, P.O. Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week.